0: Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green, and your co-host, James Maynard. Today's topic, are you a human? Do you want to have a real conversation about our world? If so, stay tuned for Humans for a Real Conversation. We welcome your calls. It seems like for months we've been bombarded with news stories of power, corruption, discrimination, racism, sexism, and more. Yet because of this, there's hope. The ugliness is rising to the surface for all to see. We've started talking about important issues, and many of us are taking a stand. Whoever we vote for, November the 8th, many of us are wanting real change. Let's use this show to talk about it. What value did Bernie, Donald, and Hillary lend to the conversation? What can we bring? Humans for a real conversation is all about finding our commonality and moving forward. Some of us have already started talking about the pain and plans we share. Now let's continue that conversation on Interrevolutionary Radio. So drop the signs and the partisanship. Bring your fervor and inspirations. And most of all, be willing to be honest. Stay tuned and call in. Let's turn this electoral season into the beginning of something better for us all. Beth?
1: Well, how about giving that phone number, James?
0: Well then, if you'd like to call us, you might need that number. You might. That, that number is 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788 with your question or comment.
1: Well, hi there, everybody. It's good to be back. I hope you've been enjoying Interrevolutionary Radio with all the other hosts and co-hosts and all that stuff that's going on. And we are here for our regular first Thursday of the month radio show. So we usually start with the news of the inner revolution, and I would like to kind of uh, editorialize a little bit on that because uh, I haven't been uh, tracking the news as much lately. We were traveling, and we didn't have much Internet. But there was the usual. Okay, so what, am, what are we going to say? Okay, new threshold. This is great, right, from Democracy Now!, New threshold 2015 saw average carbon dioxide levels of 400 ppm, particles per million. Okay, parts per million. The planet, okay, are you ready for this? The planet has already crossed a new threshold. The average carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere throughout 2015 was 400 parts per million. This, according to the World Meteorological Organization, scientists have long warned Carbon dioxide levels must remain below 400 parts per million. If not below 350 parts per million to avoid catastrophic climate change, scientists predict that carbon dioxide levels would not drip dip below 400 parts per million on average for decades to come, even if there are aggressive measures taken to cut carbon globally. 2016 is also slated to be the hottest year on record, so we have a few indications there that things aren't going well. Uh, we have uh, just a snippet on from The Huffington Post that young football players' brains change after one season. after one season, young boys, you know this was sent to us by Helen. Uh, Lizzie sent us an article from Democracy Now about two-thirds of the world's wildlife could be gone by 2020 in sixth extinction. Uh, and also from the uh, Huffington Post, female politicians consistently viol- face violence and rape threats. And this was a study globally. and uh, you know, you, we get so impressed, oh, we have women in parliament here and there and everything, but we don't here see this ugly thing. Well, evidently, all, this new survey is showing that around the world, women who are prominent politically are getting uh, threats of violence and rape and so on. So, here we go. Um, let me see. Those are the kinds of things. I mean, there's more. There's more. Broken promises of genetically modified crops. Donald Trump's companies destroyed or hid documents in defiance of court orders, and so on. So anyway, what does this all look like? You know, in terms of our theme, we have plenty of grist for the mill. I mean, th- this is just a couple of items from this week. We do not have to look far to see ugliness in our world, do we? And it's very, very disturbing. How do you manage to live and wake up in the morning and think, Oh my God! What am I going to find out about now? Oh, uh, what's happened to the Syrian refugees this week? Uh, what hideous story am I going to read about prison conditions in the U.S.? Uh, you know w- what? Um, you know what church has been bombed, or you know which black people have been shot, or what police officers have have been attacked, or. And,
0: and so, and Beth, and Beth another yeah. big question is Are we facing mass extinction? The possibility thereof?
1: Well, we are facing mass extinction. That That isn't even a question. I mean, if you have your eyes open, you will see that we are facing mass extinction. Certainly, we look, these predictions about losing two thirds of our wildlife by 2020, 2020? Is that what I said? 2020?
0: Yeah, 2020, that's right.
1: I mean, that's like around the corner. We've already experienced extinction of all kinds of wildlife. Biodiversity is crashing. All those wonderful species that give us so much to learn. I mean, the plant species that have uh, wonderful medicinal value and the the, uh, the uh, habitat for other species on the earth. You know, we don't own this earth. We're supposed to be the stewards. Well, we're doing a pretty lousy job. So... You know, it's bad. And unfortunately, you know, in this uh, partisan world that we live in, we're looking at a party that has really tried to attract people on the basis of climate denial. And I'm really sad about that. But what we're trying to get to is, yes, all these awful things are happening. But at the same time, people are still people. You know, you go to the grocery store and somebody smiles at you, Uh, somebody waves you on to take the parking space, Uh, your next door neighbor who may have a political view that you think is absolutely appalling, is feeding the deer. Uh, You know, there's something going on at the same time, which has to do with the goodness of people, just ordinary people, the normal everyday life. Now... I'm not saying that we're not being blind, deaf, and dumb to the environmental issues, to the race issues, to all of that, but all of that is coming out. When we see all of that coming out, we often become overwhelmed and become angry, and when we become angry... You know, we are supposed to feel like that moment of anger which tells us something is wrong. Something is wrong with the way humanity is behaving. Something is wrong with our political system. There is too much corruption in politics and so on. But at the same time that we know something is wrong, we have to relax into a faith that there is a rhythm to our history, and to our destiny. And that we will either be moving towards extinction for ourselves, which could have its own beauty, (laughs) or we are moving towards a real awakening. And the question is, which is it? So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, James is going to be interviewing Beth Green, who you know. And we're also taking callers to talk about how are we going to use the massive mess of this electoral season to awaken our consciousness and to help ourselves and all of us move forward. And the first thing that I'm saying is we have to remember the good in people. You know, when I say the good in people, I'm not talking about the Dalai Lama within. I'm just talking about ordinary people uh, who just have that empathy or who care or her taking care of their dogs or, uh, you know, feeding the birds <laughs> or, you know, contributing to causes or, you know, making food at the sh- soup kitchen. Y- y- you know, they are out there. We are out there. In fact, most of us are like that, even if we're getting riled up in some pretty bad directions. So, James.
0: Yes. You're uh-
1: interviewing me. Take it away. That was all the preamble.
0: Well, the, the first question, obviously, to ask you is, what do you mean by a real conversation, as opposed to the kind of conversations that we typically uh, are involved with or hear?
1: Well, that refers to the humans for a real conversation. I'm really glad that you brought that up, as a matter of fact. We just had an event last week. And we're going to be doing more of them called Humans for a Real Conversation. And what we did was we took a bunch of people, put them in a room, and we said, don't identify politically, but let's talk about what are the issues that are important to us. And we came up with maybe 12, maybe there were 30 people-ish in the room, maybe there were 12 or more that everybody agreed on. And that doesn't mean that we all had the solutions or the same solution. But you see, if you scratch the surface, we discover that people really all care about the same things. You know, you may not be an environmentalist, but you want the Grand Canyon to be there for your grandchildren, right? right. Uh, you know, you may not think of yourself as someone who is radical on GMOs or non-GMOs, but you want food that nurtures rather than poisons, right? Right. Um, We all care about the fact that there's too much poverty. We feel bad when we see homeless people. We know there's too much violence in our society. We know that there's a lack of connection and that we are too stressed. Uh, We know there's not enough communication and love. Uh, We know that each one of us personally, personally needs love and validation. We know all of these things. We know that about ourselves as individuals. We know that about our communities. Deep down inside, we all uh, want the same thing. It doesn't matter if we're white, black, purple, Muslim, Christian, uh, Republican, Democrat, whatever. We really do fundamentally care. And so here's the beginning of that conversation is what do we really care about? And how much unanimity do you think we would get? People who are on both sides of the abortion issue – People are on both sides, and there are so many different sides, really, of the gun uh, issue. We're we're looking for well-being. We want the sanctity of life, whether we feel it's like we need to have fewer unwanted pregnancies so that mothers can be more sane and can take care of their children, or we believe that abortion is murder and we want to protect the unborn at, at any cost, uh, whether we believe that there we have too many guns I think everybody would actually agree that that guns are in the hands of people who can't handle them. You know, the people who want to have guns, who want to go out and hunt, are are you know are really not wanting to have uh, some person who is disturbed come in and go into a school and kill their children. We really want the same thing, but we've become so polarized that we don't even realize it. So a real conversation starts with our willingness to get real about what we really need and to s- not start with the disagreements, but start with what actually unites us, then ultimately we would like to start talking about, well, what is, how can we solve these problems? I mean, what is it that we need in order to solve these problems? We have recognized that there is tremendous corruption in politics, right? And, uh, it, and that's partly us. Because our, you know, we collectively have co-created something where we have these dirty, awful campaigns, where we have all these splashy advertising, where we're not having real conversations, where we have scare tactics, all of this costs money, 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 where money buys people in politics, you know, there's corruption everywhere, there's corruption even within us. How many of us have never cheated in any way ever? Ever, ever. Oh, come on. I don't mean maybe that you cheated on an exam at school, but maybe you fudged a little something on your income tax, or you took whatever possible deduction you could, whether it was really the right thing, or you fudged a little bit on something else, getting a mortgage, or, you know, as people get desperate. You have to, sometimes you feel like you have to fudge a little. So, you know, we're all a little bit corrupt, and some of us are more corrupt than others. And one of the reasons some of us are more corrupt than others is we have more, more people coming after us. So these kinds of things are things that we co-create collectively and that create more corruption. And we need to talk about that, and we need to talk about what is it in us that's fostering that. But in our humans, for a real conversation, we did more than that. We went would
0: on t- a we, Yeah, would you tell us yeah. more about that in terms of how do you give us some examples of how people can find commonality when they're at different uh, parts of this political spectrum?
1: Well, this was very interesting because what we were guided to do, and I say guided by the inner voice, you know, which I can call God or spirituality or my intuition or whatever, that we had four people role playing. And one was role-playing a Trump supporter, one was role-playing a Hillary, a Bernie, and Libertarian. Uh, it just so happened, coincidentally, we didn't have a Jill Stein person, but it, 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 there could have been a Jill Stein person. And what we did was each person who was representing that didn't mean that they were necessarily a Trump supporter or a Hillary supporter or a Bernie or a uh, Gary Johnson supporter. What what they did was they went in their hearts and they connected to a person, a real person, and you just do did it intuitively, and that person started to tell their story, and then they started to talk about why they supported that particular candidate, and it went down to the very deepest level of, you know, okay, my husband is a woman in Ohio, her husband lost his job, uh, she's, uh, you know, and he's drinking and she feels you know really stressed and doesn't feel any support and uh, she wants to feel the presence of some man who really is going to take care of her and come up with the answers and she is a Trump supporter and then we had a woman who had a special needs child and she her husband had abandoned her and uh, and the child and she was really desperate to try to get as many social services as she could for her child. And she really felt the need for, you know, the government to support her and she's a Hillary supporter and uh, and so on. And so what we did is we started to get into people. Now, I'm not saying those are the reasons that every Trump supporter or Hillary supporter does. But we went beyond the rationale. We went beyond what we think we know, what we th- we think or our motivations and we went deep into the hearts of people and said what is it and then we could understand each other there was a libertarian we talked to him and he was a disabled vet and why he was a libertarian was, it had to do with his feelings of powerlessness and so on and then the characters started to dialogue and it was incredible because as they were dialoguing they got to feel compassion for one another and yet, in the world that we live in, we're all screaming at each other. I see we have a caller. And yes. I, how is that, Jamesy?
0: Yes, indeedy. Uh, very good. Uh, why don't we take this call now? Uh, yeah. Mary Chris from Portland, Oregon. Mary Chris, can you hear us?
1: I do. Can you hear me okay?
0: Yeah, we hear
1: you great. Great to hear from Hi. you. Hi.
2: Hi. Yeah, thank you for this discussion, This and this kind of discussion about issues uh, because, you know, I, I really do want to get real uh, around discussions like this and, and with, the, with the goal of fo- uh, focusing on connecting, focusing on having and enhancing that and having love between people, but there's also um, the, the, the idea that, you know, it's easy to get into a pitfall discussion around, well, okay, so now let's solve these problems. And then it becomes a little bit of critical about they. When it, it's like the pitfall I'm aware of is whenever the word they comes up, it means we're now we're bonding against somebody who's doing something wrong. And now we've gone backwards.
1: <laughs> yeah. So problem, are you calling it a pit bull conversation or a pitfall conversation? I'm not catching the word. Pitfall? Yeah. Pitfall. Okay. Yeah. Okay, this is the yeah, so pitfall I, of aware that. I'm
2: pitfalls like that. Like, you know, to, to not start being critical of uh, whoever might be causing problems, but let's focus on how we can help and how, you know, we can come up with some solutions around some problems. Yeah. What, uh, I like to do.
1: Well, you know, I think that's really great, Mary Chris. And for, for us, I know that, just immediately, my knee jerk reaction is to get mad. What about you? Uh,
2: yeah, <laughs> when, I like to be right. Like, I, I can uh, just yeah. feel it in myself when I'm, when I'm ramping up to be correct and the right, you know, have the right answers and the right everything. I know I'm doing something oh. kind of off. A-
1: exactly. At least in our minds, we're right, right? And then <laughs> we're angry at anybody who disagrees with us. And I feel it really deeply. I get mad. And I'm, one of the reasons is because I think that I'm right and I'm afraid of the hurt that's going to happen if this political position gets, you know, promoted or if we cut aid to children or, you know what I mean, we dismantle the Department of Education or we allow racism in the schools or so on. You know, I see the faces of all the people who are going to be damaged, that's what riles me up and then my stomach turns over, right? And so then I'll come in and I will argue positions. But what I don't typically do enough of, but we did it at our humans for a real conversation, and if people are interested in that, you know, you should let us know because we're going to be doing more of them in one form or another. Um, It's that, You know, to stop, because what we did there was we got into the psyche of the person who was promoting a certain political candidate, but we tried to understand them. First, we started to relate as people. We didn't even try to get to solutions. We we started at something even more basic than that. You know, how do we begin to understand each other? But that requires so much self-honesty. You know, why do I feel this way? Uh I feel this way probably because when I was a child, uh, my father was a salesman, low-level kind of salesman. He went to stores and he tried to sell hardware or what we call tchotchkes, like coffee mugs or stuff like that. And he wasn't very successful on a financial level, and he struggled, and the buyers would treat him really poorly. Uh and they treated him that way. It was a power trip because you know how people get, yeah. You know, everybody wants to feel powerful over somebody. And I, I saw that when I was about five years old. It 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 turned my stomach. And I I've had this rage about power ever since. So I mean, <laughs> there it is. I'm not saying that I don't think I'm right. I'm saying that I think some of the energy that I've always carried about uh, you know, over, you know, transforming the capitalist system has a lot to do with the pain that I saw as a young child, not just with my father, of course, but with anybody who was on the losing end of the stick. And so I have to deal with my own emotions. I need to understand what's driving me to have these positions and then try to understand other people. And once we realize that we agree on so many things and that we can feel compassion for each other, only then can we start talking.
0: Is that a product of uh, identifying the deeper needs? Is that what you're talking about?
1: I'm talking about finding the commonality that's based on our humanity. When I see somebody who says, you know, I really feel the need for some man to come in and do something. I can say, I, oh, I understand that. I feel the same way. Gee, I wish I had that. I can understand it. But when I look at it from the outside, I look at the person, I say, what kind of a moron is this woman, right? <laughs> uh, and and that's, that's the problem. you know. So, and, so,
0: so how do you deal with that particular kind of thing then? So somebody feels weak, powerless, they need somebody else to provide the power. So where do you go from there?
1: Well, then I go on and have a real conversation with them and say, you know, I really understand that because I have that same need. You know, my father had a nervous breakdown when I was six years old. Mm -hmm. And I've been waiting forever for some man to come over, you know, come into my life who's going to take over. But it's never going to happen. And, you know, when it does happen, it doesn't look so pretty. And then I could start talking about my experience and say, well, is this really the answer? Is this really going to, you know, give us what we need? And so, but I have... a a relationship of compassion with the other person mm, rather than considering yes. the other person the devil. Right. You know, that there are no devils. There are just a lot of people who have a lot of frustrations and upsets. And that, all of that comes even before we start talking about these are our common problems and how are we going to solve them? Like, why don't we feel safe with each other, for example? We have a couple more callers, Jean.
0: Yes, I see that. Okay. Well, thanks so much, Mary Chris, for calling in.
1: Thank you. I hope I answered your question. Yes, thank you.
0: Wonderful. Okay, next we have Helen calling from California. Hello, Helen. Hello, Hello, Helen.
2: Thank you for for the show. I I don't know if I know the answer to this, but I would like to hear your uh, answer to what difference is it going to make if we do learn to have compassion for one another's perspectives?
1: Oh, my God. Oh, my God, everything. It's not, uh, it's really, it sounds like it's compassion for the perspective. I mean, it's really, and and I totally understand what you mean, but I would say it's compassion for the person. You know, I agree. Yeah, because what we have is I may not have compassion for the perspective, but I sure can have compassion for the person. And then I'm going to talk to them differently. I'm going to get into a sharing rather than into a teaching. I'm going to get into a relating rather than a yelling at or a proving or a... I'm so guilty of this. It's pathetic, right? (laughs) You know, I hear certain points of view and I go berserk and I can't stop myself. But if I shut up and take a breath and calm down, then I'm going to actually feel the other person inquire say why do you why do you think that you know what what makes you what is the what made you feel this way what was your life experience that made you feel this way and then I'm sure that there's something that they're going to say that I can identify with and then I'm not coming at them anymore but I'm coming towards them and they will feel that safety and we can start talking. You know, if we all started to do that today and we're about a week, no, less than a week from the election, the whole environment would change. But here we're constantly looking at some way to prove to the opposite side that their candidate is a jerk. And, and, and that is so hostile. It's, well, how does it make them feel? Some, supposing you're a Trump supporter and I come out with yet another story about how Trump is a jerk and you're going to your stomach is going to feel like you've, you've, it's been punched. You know, you're assaulted. Let's say you believe in him and, you know, you're feeling like you're being treated like you're some kind of moron, as I said before. And um, so that's the way we do it. We, make, we try to convince the supporters of the opponent that their candidate is crooked, crooked Hillary, or whatever. Uh, and so, we're, of course, we're polarizing more and more because we're actually, by attacking the candidates in that way, we are really attacking their supporters. Now, if we stop doing that, and we try to understand each other, it it would be a revolution. Because then we would all get together and say, you know, we don't like any of these candidates. (laughs) Because what we're really looking for is this and this and this and this and this, and we're not really feeling that, but hey, this is the best we can do, or whatever. Or yes, you know, Donald has said, like we said in the introduction, Donald has said some real things. You know, there is a rigged system but it's not rigged against him, personally, right? There is a rigged system. And we all feel that. We know that. That has to be said. And Bernie was saying the same kinds of things. There are other things that, that Donald Trump said that are true. If you bring in low-paid immigrants or unpaid immigrants, that is going to undermine the wages of workers. Well, you know, so, so it's true. Therefore, we, you know, what is the solution? To some of us, it's to raise everybody's wages, not to keep out immigrants. But see, when we just say, okay, that's racist, then we don't deal with the issue as it's being experienced by those people who are having those experiences who are identifying with him. Or the same thing on the Hillary Clinton side. You know, she's talking about the pain of Black people or gay people or and how uh, students have the student loans and so on. And all of those are uh, they are uh, appealing to people who have real problems. And so when a Trump supporter says Hillary is crooked and she should go to jail, then they're not giving any kind of respect to all the people who are supporting Hillary Clinton because they see there is also a rigged system. So. You know, if each of the candidates has has said things that are valid, and that it's not just because people are morons that they're supporting those candidates, but why don't we look at the essence of what they're saying that is true, and then see if we can find some solutions? Does that answer your question? I think so. Helen. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Okay. Thanks for calling, Helen. Thank you. Okay. Very good. Uh, it, just parenthetically, so then I suppose, uh, Beth, that when Hillary called half of uh, Trump supporters deplorables, uh, you you think that might be uh, slightly separating instead of relating to those?
1: Uh, th- uh duh, <laughs> uh,
0: you know, uh, you think? <laughs> okay, now. Uh, and, and about, you know, yeah. what I'm
1: saying, too, is that everything that – The the true things that Trump says, the true things that Hillary says, the true things the libertarians say, the true things Jill Stein says, the true things that Bernie said, they are ugly things about our society that yelling at each other are not going to make go away. And electing a candidate is not going to go away either, you know, because they're all very flawed. I mean, the only thing that's really going to change these things is when we start getting honest about what's really going on in our society, and that we start taking the power to actually promote actual change instead of lining up around candidates and attacking the, the supporters of, of other people.
0: Very good. I agree with that. Okay, on to our next caller, Roz in San Diego. Welcome, Roz.
3: Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Hello, Raz. Hi. Hi. Um, well, you know, I was just listening. That actually, the caller before me asked the initial question that I had, which was, you know, why does this make a difference? So I'm clearly so let's talk about something else. So maybe the first thing is that, you know, I was one of the participants who was at the event and was extremely moved by the, the entire event and watching people take on the role of the different uh, individuals who were representing those parties.
1: And yeah, she's talking about the Humans for a Real Conversation you know, event. Yes, yeah. That we held on the internet, by the way.
3: Yes, yeah, it was yeah. it was truly amazing. And uh, I, I guess maybe the thing that I was aware of and maybe want to comment and, I guess, get your thoughts about was, you know, as a person who was in the room, you know, it was palpable the amount of pain that... Yes. Um, each of the individuals were exhibiting, and that it was very easy as, a, as someone who was watching this scenario unfold um, to feel that pain as well and uh, to, I guess, be aware of the being shocked by it on some level and yeah. maybe even stopped. And I'm noticing that that was what was some of the reactions of people in the room. And I guess what do you say to people who are confronted by that, that level of pain and fear, and how do they
1: move through that? Like what is there to do? Well, there is to say, um, and what's your story? Because they have that same level of pain in them, either from their own personal experience or what they've seen happen to their friends or their parents or their race or their nation or their religious group. And that level of pain is everywhere, so it isn't just the level of pain. Am I understanding your your question correctly? Russ?
3: Yes, I mean not so much just about that room, but that's that's really what people are facing at any given moment, wherever they are. So yes, you know, like what, how, do, how, ah. do, how do people how do people face that? Because I think yeah. I I think if I were speaking for myself, it's maybe the thing that has stopped me from wanting to engage and have a real conversation is the fear of that pain. Um. So it's like, what do we do to face see. Of
1: that? Right, right. Okay. So I was looking at it from the perspective of what do we, as people who want these conversations, do when we see people in that place? And I think the only thing we can do is ask them about themselves and ask them if they can relate. So, but then, what do we do about all the pain that that comes out of that too? Mm-hmm. Without g- g- feeling overwhelmed and wanting to shut down and give up. Yes. Well, I, th- I I think this is a really critical question because I think that one of the things that does happen in the political process is that we just want the leaders to take care of it. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, elect so-and-so. We know there's a lot of pain in our society, so let's elect so-and-so. And then we can go back to sleep for four years, right? Or two years or, or whatever. And uh, we do want to run away from it. And I certainly want to run away from it. You know, uh, what's for lunch, right? Um but I think that comes from a lack of faith. You know, we started this out, and I hope I'm not jumping around too much. Is this conversation today, is this show coming out as co- coherent?
3: It, yes, uh, yes. And I didn't hear the very beginning, so you may have spoken about faith before, but it's, it's great for me to hear. So it totally makes okay.
1: sense. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because, no, but I think this is really where I want to go, which is what we need to do is not feel like we have to fix it in the first 30 seconds or that we have to fix it at all that if we can just listen and then let the dialogue begin and let the process do itself meaning once we start engaging with each other i mean i've always wanted to have a conference on abortion where people were pro-abortion and anti-abortion uh, would Or, you know, what, what do you call it? Reproductive rights or pro-life or whatever the euphemism of the day is, you know, to really talk about their experiences and their life and what they've seen and what they have felt and what's really bothering them and, uh, and talk about that and then start dialoguing. Somehow, I believe there would emerge better answers than what we have now because what we do is simply polarize and people feel like they have to choose between column A and column B. And then there's nothing else to do. you yes. uh, saying and having, having faith in the process
3: that together yes. there's enough synergy that we can work through it and, and come up with whatever the next step is.
1: Exactly. And it's not going to happen without that. At least, I don't believe it's going to happen without that. But we are not focused, our political system is not focused on people having a conversation. Mm -hmm. Our system is focused on convincing and beating, making sure that our side wins and the other side loses. And just, oh, my God, you know, just if you can have a moment, just one moment in all of this insanity where you feel the relaxation and feel the faith that we can do it and that each one of us has to do our part. Uh, then there's the beginning of the sanity. So we're not really screaming at each other. Uh, uh, we were just at a doctor's appointment just before this session. And my doctor had looked at our Facebook page and she had read. My article in the Huffington Post uh, about, you know, the calm in the storm. And it was really dealing with this is saying the good thing about the election is that all and about our society today is that all this ugliness is coming to the surface. I remember the 50s, right? (laughs) (laughs) They weren't good. You know, DuPont was dumping uh, people were being racially profiled, arrested, lynched. Uh, you know, was uh, There was anti-Semitism. There was discrimination against gays. Women were being pushed back into the home. Men didn't feel the support of anybody. They felt like they had to be the providers and they were stressed out. I mean, what's to like? Uh, you know, the lucky ones had jobs that, you know, in the auto industry, or the steel mills or something, or the coal mines where they, you know, got black lung disease. I mean, these, these are the good old days. And it, so we were unconscious. But today, uh, be, you know, partly because of connectivity of, the, of all the social media, the, the news hits the fan people know about things now there's a lot of disgusting stuff out on the internet that's not real that's not true and that's just there to get people all riled up and or it's or it's just pure ignorance and there's so much ignorance that it's it's shocking okay but there's more availability of information than i ever saw when i was growing up in the 40s and the 50s the 60s i mean and so it You find out about things. And uh, yes, we have a saturation point because there's just so much depressing news every day. But we're also finding out about each other. We're also finding out about the goodness. We have to keep remembering the goodness. And we have to stop getting caught up. So yes, we have to know these terrible things. It does bring us to a moment of awareness or an hour or two of awareness or hopefully a lifetime of awareness. But while we're doing that, Let's remember we're talking about people, other people that some, you know, yeah, there are some extremely mentally ill people, but even many of who, you know, have maybe lost their way and, uh, but even uh, just because you're mentally ill doesn't mean you don't have a sense of right and wrong or love for people. I mean, we're just talking about some people who are, quote, sociopathic, right? Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, it's just that they're so desperate, uh, they're so alone, Or they've been in prison and they've been put in solitary confinement for three years and they come out and they're crazy. You know what I mean? It's our whole society. We don't treat human beings in a human way. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of distress and despair in the electorate just for their own situations and their... They may have been beaten as children or they may have an addiction themselves or whatever. You know, we're talking about humanity in all of our defective glory and with all of the pain and all of the trauma that we have all experienced all over the world. And then we have this election and we're trying to choose leaders who are not telling us the truth, who are not being honest with us, that will throw out things to discredit the other person, not because they want to have a real conversation or go into any kind of depth. But we can. And that is a conversation that happens every day, not just for, you know once every four years or two years or six months. This is the conversation of beginning to understand one another and have a real conversation. I hope to God that after this, election that we actually start having real conversations with each other because we're going to need some help and we're going to be talking about the election next week. Uh, I'm going to be interviewed uh, by Helen, I believe, uh, on what, uh, you know, on the aftermath of where we've been. But no, we, there's no reason for us to give up and stop at the pain. When we see pain, we also need to see help. If we think we have to do it ourselves, we will feel overwhelmed and then we'll get all wound up and start being shrill and ridiculous, right? Mm -hmm. But when we feel that there's many of us and that we care and if we remember that there is goodness in humanity, then we can take that step and say, okay, let's get honest with each other. I don't have a solution right now about what that would look like. I know that's what has to happen, though.
3: Yeah, no, I, I love the idea of um, needing to have faith in ourselves yes. and in each other. It's like it's, yeah. it's, it's not the thing that you know everyone is talking about. And we no. forget in the moment that we are all human. So I, right. I, I love that idea. Thank you very much for that.
1: Thank, thank you. And I want to also say that those people who may be pushing Christian fundamentalism, those who are truly Christian, know the same thing that we do. Love thy neighbor as thyself. Yes. Right. Yes. We aren't so and different. That's, no, we are not so different, but we are certainly being polarized and manipulated.
3: Yes. So yes.
1: thank you for calling, Rise, and I see we have one more caller. All right. Thank yes, you.
0: Indeed. Thank okay. you. Yes. Uh, we also have a call now from Amy in California. Welcome, Amy.
4: Thank you. Uh, all of the callers and I knew Beth and James are pulling together, I think, everything I was going to say. Um, <laughs> But I guess what I would say is that I know the feeling of thinking that once something is done, then I don't have to do anything, such as uh-huh. when, when leaders chosen, okay, now they're going to take care of it. And um, I understand that feeling of, of wanting someone to, to um, jump in and save us all, <laughs> including myself. And Yeah, Yeah, yeah. That nothing will change, no matter who wins, if we don't do all the things that you've been talking about. And that being polarized feels awful. You know, it feels self-righteous on the one hand, but just uh, completely detached and disconnected from everybody and ourselves. And you're right that that, uh, solutions are not going to happen. Let me turn my phone off, sorry. Okay, um... Can't happen because someone at the top says they're supposed
1: to. Right. So, that's right, Amy. So, I've what I hear you saying, and I I so agree with it, and I I think it's really important as we're coming to the last, you know, the last segment of our show. It's like, and it's also, uh, it connects to what Ross was just talking about. It's like, we have to empower ourselves and stop thinking that we're going to be saved. You know, I, I do believe in the value of leadership, but we need to start asking our leaders to lead instead of to win. And, uh, you know, we have a system, a political system that is so ego-based. You know, it's about, you know, the popularity contest. Who's going to win and what are you going to do to win? right than, and it's so
4: familiar i mean it's yes. like that too and so that's probably why it's so painful
1: to watch yeah oh yes it's so true it's so true and so our whole way of being on the planet is so oppositional and confrontational and uh uh competitive and it's not surprising that we have uh, a you know, a pretty sick political system, and so do others. Because it's not just us in this country, you know, it's all over the place. So our leaders are afraid to have a real conversation, because they're afraid uh, that that's not what people want from them. And so, I honestly, I could not imagine running for public office.
4: Oh, me the, neither. Like, why in the world <laughs> anybody
1: want would to you do subject that? yourself to that kind of abuse?
0: Well, hey. there, was a time, there was a time when I wanted to run for public office because I cared enough to want to uh, help make the situation better. Yeah, I guess takes a certain kind of person. Uh, and we used to have a consensus building in in our uh, legislative uh, organizations, and things have gotten more polarized. So uh, it would be good to, if people would get into those positions and and look out for finding the commonality that you're talking about, Beth. The common yeah. ground. Etc. and bring out the best in one another. Uh, yeah, you
1: know, I, agree just, yeah. I, I agree with you. I agree with uh, you, dames. It's not that I'm saying that we shouldn't do it. I'm just having compassion for anybody who runs for office. You know, people go yeah. through their dirty mm-hmm. laundry every night. They go look through their garbage. And, mm-hmm. you know, who among us is without sin? And who should be throwing the first stone, Right. Right. So that's a reality and that we, we have such scrutiny, uh, and, but, but it's done it with ill intention. You know, it's like, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's not like, oh, so-and-so has a sex addiction. How can we support them? It's, oh, so-and-so has a sex addiction. Now we're going to tear them down, right? And that's kind of way that we treat one another is, is brutal. It's like the gladiator's. And so, whoever is left standing wins, you know. So, how is that leadership? Leadership, to me, is really helping to identify what the problems are, to see, sometimes even to see where things could go, and to mobilize people to either go towards those solutions or to come up with those solutions. We don't have to have the answer to every question to be a leader, but we need to have compassion and understanding for people, and we need to want to build that consensus, but, I mean, build consensus, and we don't mean compromise, but to really get to the nub of the issue and saying, what is the real issue here, and how can we collectively resolve it, that would be an entire different universe, and we would be having an entirely different conversation. And it's
4: so easy to be totally um, depressed by the things that you read off at the beginning. Yeah. And I see, like if they're going to be solved, it can't be people in different camps. No. It won't work. No. And seeing how much that occurs is depressing too. So um, it's just so obvious that what's needed is a real conversation like you're talking about.
1: Yeah. You know, we believe in the inner revolution, you know, that's what we do. We're the innerrevolution.org, and uh, part of the inner revolution is that we, you know, oneness, accountability, and mutual support is that we see things differently, that we try to our very best not to just get caught up in all the polarization as incredibly, uh, you know, uh, seductive as that is, Mm -hmm. and that it isn't that we don't take a stand. There are things that I believe we have to stand up against, but that's not about how I treat the people. I may say this candidate I believe needs to be defeated, but I don't want to. But how do I do that without making it look like the people who support that candidate are wrong or foolish or whatever? Is to try to see the value in what that person says and say, you know, I can understand why. You are supporting this candidate, and I can see the value of what this person is saying, but I think that we need to look at this or this or this. So it all has to be done differently. So thanks a lot for calling, Amy. You're welcome. Thank you for this show. Thank you. I hope it's helping.
0: Yes. So, Beth, there's something I'd like to come back to. Uh, Yes. Regarding that question about uh, how do you help people uh, move through the pain, Uh, Were you basically saying uh, that as you try to engage with a person, try to understand what they're experiencing and have compassion, that you also work with each other about getting the help that is needed for that particular kind of pain?
1: Oh, absolutely. But what Roz was asking about is how do you deal with the feelings of the people who are observing all the pain? Mm -hmm. So she was saying, you know, when confronted with all this pain, I wanna shut down and I'm saying you have the same pain and we don't have to solve the problem by ourselves. I think that when we talk about our pain or fears and what we see, we discover so much more unanimity and that we're all struggling with a society that forces us to compete with one another that uh, that uh, makes us have to look after ourselves and worry about ourselves and because there's no other way to be taken care of, and we have a society which definitely uh, encourages egoic behavior, emphasizes looks, fame. I mean, it's unreal. Today, everybody, you know, I'm sure everybody always wanted to be a star, but now everybody can be a star for two minutes, you know, on their Facebook page. And, and look at what people do in order to get that one moment of recognition. People are starving to be cared about. And, yeah. uh, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so, obviously, we in our collective society are not giving people the feeling that they are cared about. And that is the common denominator. If you look at all the politicians and all the uh, people who are running for office, candidates, they are appealing to somebody and saying, "The other side doesn't care about you, but I do." Yeah. And so uh, no matter what else is, you know, being said in with a mouth, I mean, everybody we could see that people do not feel cared about, and that is that our society is not a caring one, and that uh, there's that's where the inner revolution needs to take place.
0: Would you care to uh, share some of the resources that you're available that you're aware of that might help people uh, connect with some of those resources?
1: Well, right now, what I'd like to talk about because I know we're coming to the close is that. Um, we are TheInnerRevolution.org, and you can Google us and find us real easily. And We have a Facebook page called um, Facebook.com forward slash TheInnerRev. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us in lots of places, and you can ask us about our group's our healing work, our individual work and our group work, our outreach, our couples group, our men's group, our family program, uh, the work that we're doing with the school system and trying to help children to feel cared about but also kind of give them some guidance towards critical thinking. If you are interested in having a real conversation or continuing the real conversation, not just now but after this election, um, write to us. Uh, There's a contact form uh, right there at um, uh, Voice America on our host page. Or you can write to Helen at TheInnerRevolution.org and you can say, I'm interested in, I'm a human and I want to have a real conversation. I want to build this. This is just the beginning, guys. You know, it—it it, sometimes it looks like it's the end of of the world, right? But this can be a beginning, an, an awakening. Join us, please. Show us that you're there. Show us that you care too. Contact us and see if we can have a Humans for a Real conversation wherever you are.
0: Wonderful. Okay, let's talk about what's coming up next week, shall we? Yeah. All righty. Next week this is the topic. Did your candidate win or lose? Are you gloating or enraged? Where do we go from here? A discussion of how we can move forward after one of the most contentious election seasons ever. Join us as host Helen Hillocks interviews the inimitable Beth Green about how to come together. That would be me. Uh, that would be her. And, and move beyond the vitriol and downright meanness of this election. Can we overcome the hatred that has been stirred up on both sides? Can we work toward healing the issues that surfaced during this election, the issues of racism, immigration, corporate greed, trade agreements, job losses to overseas workers, global warming, health care costs, education costs, and more? Can whoever won the election mend the rift that erupted between Democrats and Republicans and even within each party? Or will the contentiousness and partisanship continue and take us all down with it? Beth will weave her magic as she helps us see what we are facing and what we can each do to find the commonality that is imperative if we are going to heal after election night. Join us for Beth's perspective on all this. A perspective you may not expect to hear. And call in <laughs> with your own questions too. And now for a final word.
1: Well, I hope I have something helpful to say next week, but I'm sure I will. Uh, I'm very uh, invested in our moving forward, and uh, we'll know a lot more next week. But in the meantime, you guys get in touch with Helen at TheInterRevolution.org. We need to know that you are there. We need to feel that we're not trying to carry the banner of the inner revolution by ourselves. We know that there's more and more of us out there. We know that there's so many people who are feeling the pain. If we don't do something positive and healing to come out of this election, there will be no winners. There will be only losers. And that is something you can bet on. So please come back next week. And thank you for joining us. And Do what your conscience tells you in this election, but try to do it with an open heart and with faith that if the other guy wins, that we are all going to lose if we don't come together, and if our candidate wins, it's exactly the same. God bless.
0: God bless everyone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.